0: Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to our website, johnwarrenmedia.com, for more information about our work, including that of our sponsor, CFS Financial. CFS Financial is a full-service financial consulting firm, and we address all things financial, including debt, debt resolution, uh, debt challenges, funding new projects, and uh, all things strategic and uh, corporate governance and polity and so on. So please uh, look at that tab. You can also go directly to uh, CFS Financial by uh, logging onto dot cfsfinancial.net as kind of a separate website, takes you to the same tab. Please use our contact form on the website to send along a comment if you have one, or you can email me directly at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. So uh, today we're going to continue on our Uh, series uh, in our series of the attributes of God. This is our fourth lesson. The first one was on the fact that God is simple, divine simplicity, meaning not made of complex parts. And then God's immutability is being unchanging was lesson two. Lesson three uh, has been what was on uh, the love of God. And And lesson four, we're going to talk about the wrath of God. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in, uh, in just a minute. It's interesting how your, your feedback and, and uh, the listener statistics we get are, are really interesting. We, this podcast is growing and we're grateful uh, for your sharing it and recommending it and all of your uh, positive. It is peculiar to me. You couldn't have told me back when I was in my 20s working on my MBA about to finish it. And uh, little did I know about to enter banking. Well, actually, I did know at that point I I started my banking career while working in that program. But, But you couldn't have told me that I would enjoy about 30 years in banking, that we would I'd get to be part of a group that started and grew and sold three banks along the way and and that I would develop this this hunger for theology that I would. Um, that God would choose to turn my life in a completely different direction and that I would be a, a Christ follower and would dedicate my life uh, to that pursuit. And then that I would have the opportunity to teach as an adjunct professor at the University of Central Florida while these banks, we were, we were growing them one at a time and, and then eventually buyers came along and then we went on to the next one and then a third one and God protected us through the, uh, financial, uh, the, the, the great, uh, recession as it's called of 2008, nine, 10 and following. And, uh, th- and then, uh, I, I met the folks at Aurora Christian school in Illinois and one thing led to another. We had a successful outcome there. And, uh, while I was, while we were selling the bank, the third bank, to uh, First United Bank, um, we I, I had the opportunity to help some Christian schools to get to know the Association of Christian Schools International. And then eventually, uh, who knew that God would give me this wonderful opportunity that I have to teach to be involved in Circle Christian School and to teach 11th and 12th graders U.S. government and economics and ethics and a worldview course who knew and then uh here here we are we're for a couple of years now we've been producing this podcast and uh god has seen fit to use it and we are grateful grateful for you this this loyal audience that has uh, developed over the last uh couple of years this i believe this is episode 112 and uh you know, that means we're we're kind of into our twenty-sixth month or so. Um uh maybe that means twenty-seventh month, and uh God has blessed and we're thankful. So we're we're plowing our way through, and I say plowing, it's been a, a wonderful journey on the attributes of God, and we've reached the very serious, all of these are very serious. Uh, but this one, the wrath of God, is perhaps the most misunderstood. dare I say the least pleasant and and yet it is among the most essential. Now, uh, now now here's here's what we mean when we say the wrath of God. It's the the just and measured response of God toward evil. That's a pretty good good summary. And, and we'll we'll kind of flip the coin over and look at the the, the opposite of the wrath of God though the what if we didn't what if God didn't have wrath at, at various points uh, uh, today in our discussion. But you know last week we talked about the love of God and and these these character traits all fit together. God God has them all in abundance. In fact, all of God's attributes are perfect. He has them all fully and perfectly. And I, I talk about them using the English language rather clumsily, don't I? And you probably do too, because this language, all languages come up short. All languages are finite and have limitations. And it, it's just a little challenging to describe an infinite, perfect God. But let's do that nonetheless. Let's talk about, just uh, for a few minutes together today, let's talk about the wrath of God. Now, Paul Washer, who you might be familiar with, often says something like this to pastors. He does a lot of pastor training around the country, and he says something like, if you if you preach on the wrath of God, you probably won't be invited to speak at that church again. You, you won't be invited back, he says. He said. I, he says, I don't get invited back to a lot of places because I talk about the wrath of God. He's a student of the Puritans, and and he talks boldly about God's wrath. He has a great understanding, in my opinion, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he says, I often don't get invited back. We struggle, don't we, to have a clear understanding of the wrath of God. We often even wish there was no such thing as the wrath of God. If you ask the average person, would would they like to worship a God that doesn't have wrath, they'd probably say yes. We we even, as Christians, we feel like we need to apologize for the wrath of God. We feel like that's a little bit of an inconvenient truth. Well, yeah, God does have wrath, but boy, is he loving. We talk about the heart and hearts and rainbows and and skipping down the path, and, and yet we, we feel like we have to apologize for the wrath of God. If you don't believe me, if you haven't thought about this before, go back, go to your church's website, or go to other churches' websites. Maybe that's a nicer way to say it. And, and look at how few sermons focus on the wrath of God, even the character of God, the attributes of God like we're doing here. Pastors often ignore this wrath of God, this important attribute of God, because it seems unpleasant or even unbecoming to them. I've even heard pastors say, well, if I talk about the negative things, I just don't want to do that, or, 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 or doctrine is, is hard, and, and I, I just, I, we, we don't do doctrine here, and we, we certainly don't do these, these negative doctrines. We, we want to have positive, uplifting sermons. Some think that there's a severity to the wrath of God that just makes it too terrifying. Others others think that God's wrath is not consistent with his goodness or his love. Many treat divine wrath as if it's a, a blot or stain on God's character, don't they? And yet, when we do what we should do with everything and look on look at Scripture on this topic and all other topics, we see that God is not ashamed to make clear His vengeance and fury. He even states that very clearly in Deuteronomy 32, among other places, verses 39 to 41, See now that I, even I, am He, And there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me? Even even a casual study of a concordance. Uh, that's like kind of a lost word today because we always have, we all have these Bible search tools. But what you're what you're doing if you do a word such search? Pardon me. You're using a concordance, and and so a concordance shows that there are more references if you just look casually at this in Scripture to God's anger, fury and wrath than, the, than there are to his love and tenderness. How about that? There are more references to God in Scripture, to God's anger, fury, and wrath than there are to his love and tenderness. Because God is holy, he hates all sin. And because he hates all sin, his anger Burns against the sinner, notwithstanding the fact that we have some cute little slogans that we we like to say that God hates the sin but loves the sinner and and I, I understand what people mean when they say that, but we we need to have a a clear eyed perspective on this. Listen to this psalm seven eleven psalm chapter seven verse eleven, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man, verse 12, does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceals evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out and falls into the hole that he has made his mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull on his own skull, his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the most high. The fact is he hates all sin, God hates all sin, and because he hates hates all sin, his anger burns against the sinner. The wrath of God is as much a divine attribute as his faithfulness, his power, or his mercy. We sort of group the attributes of God in those categories, don't we? There's no blemish whatsoever, not the not the slightest defect in the character of God, but there would be, if wrath were absent from him. Indifference to sin is a moral blemish. And failure to hate sin, think about this, failure to hate sin makes a person immoral. How could God look at virtue and vice equally? How could God disregard sin and refuse to display his severity toward it would God continue to be righteous that's a rhetorical question the answer is no he wouldn't be would he look look over at Romans 11 we've we've been through this entire book verse 22 this entire epistle Romans eleven twenty-two. 22 note then the kindness and the severity of God Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles there, and he's pivoting back and forth. So how, how could God, who delights only in what is pure and lovely, not hate that which is impure and vile. You know, we talked a while back. I had an episode. Uh, that was about a month ago on cognitive uh, uh, dissonance. It was a little further back than that, maybe six weeks ago. You might want to look that one up because we often look at the attributes of God on one side of the coin, all the pleasant ones, and don't look at the other side of the coin. We just refuse to. We just are. We have this dissonance. We we we're illogical. If, if God is going to look at sin the way a holy, righteous God has to look at sin, then wrath must be a character trait of God. He must hate that which is impure and vile. The very nature of God makes hell as real and necessary, as, as requisite, as required, as heaven is. Not only is there no imperfection in God, but there's no perfection in him that is less perfect than another of his perfections. Think about that for a second. Not only is there no imperfection in God, but there's no perfection, no character trait, no perfect character trait in him that is less perfect than another of his perfections. So his wrath is perfect. Here's the truth in one sentence. The wrath of God is his eternal hatred of all unrighteousness. The wrath of God is his eternal hatred of all unrighteousness. It is the displeasure and indignation of divine equity against evil. It is the holiness of God stirred into activity, action against sin. God is angry against sin because it is rebelling. It is a rebelling against his authority, a wrong done to his sacred sovereignty. God is the Lord. The Godhead is the Lord. God in three persons is the Lord. And that should frighten those who rebel against him. Now, God's anger isn't malicious or, or, or some sort of get-even, some sort of quid pro quo per se. But God will vindicate his dominion as the governor of the universe. But he won't be spiteful. It's interesting. Romans 1.18 declares the wrath of God. Clearly, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God is a God of truth. Unrighteousness suppresses the truth. And so the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It would behoove us to study this passage, to even memorize it. This, this wrath is, is revealed in death as introduced in the garden, and then it's revealed again and again in death's subsequent reign throughout the earth. That is the wrath of God. It is proclaimed in the curse of the law on every sin, and it was addressed in the institution of sacrifices under the Mosaic law. Now you'll also remember when we studied Romans 8, we learned the whole creation has been subject to vanity and groans and travails together in pain. The same creation that declares that there is a God and publishes his glory also proves that he is the enemy of sin and the avenger Of the crimes of men. But above all, the wrath of God was revealed from heaven when the Son of God came down to manifest the divine character, and when that wrath was displayed in his sufferings and death in a manner that was most awful. There are other revelations given from heaven through Jesus Christ, really two one of wrath. And the other of grace, think about that Jesus Christ is the the righteousness of god the and the perfect manifestation of god's grace, but God's wrath was also manifested through him psalm ninety five eleven makes clear the wrath of god so so I swore in my wrath, thou shalt not enter my Rest. There are two occasions of God's swearing in making promises, Genesis twenty-two sixteen, and, and and in pronouncing judgments. We see that in Deuteronomy one thirty-four. In Genesis, He swears mercy to His children. In Deuteronomy, He swears to deprive a wicked generation of its inheritance because of murmuring and unbelief, because of sin. An oath is for. Solemn confirmation. In Genesis twenty two sixteen, God says By myself I have sworn. Psalm eighty nine thirty five, Psalm ninety five, eleven, Colossians two nine, and John one eighteen are other texts you might want to take a look at. The divine attributes have been displayed by Jesus. We should really reflect on God's wrath, meditate on God's wrath for three reasons. First, that our hearts might be impressed by God's hatred of sin. We're always prone to regard sin lightly. We we gloss over its hideousness, don't we? We make excuses for it. The more we, we study God's hatred of sin and vengeance for sin, the more likely we are to realize its wickedness. We do this in particular with our own sin. I know you've experienced this because you're human and you might see a sin that you're prone to in the life of someone else and you find it particularly hideous in their life. We have these things that, that, that psychologists have called blind spots, things that just aren't clear to us about ourselves, and we particularly do this with sin. We just get comfortable lazy in our sin. Second, we, we should reflect on on God's wrath to produce a, a true fear for God. Hebrews 12, 28 29, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. This is a this isn't a visceral, I'm I'm about to be run over by a car fear this is a, a, a fear that that has its genesis in, in respect, is grounded in respect. So so we, we don't always see our own sin clearly. We tend to brush it under the rug, view it lightly. Oh, can you imagine if, if we had perfect knowledge? We're still sinful creatures, but if we had perfect knowledge of our sin, it'd just drive us crazy. We would just be obsessed. We're sinning all the time by thought and deed commission and omission. I mean, if you think about that, I, I, I heard a brand of theology that said you've got to be keeping score the entire time. I think Bill Bright kind of did this, started this and you've got to keep score all the time and confess every one of your sins. And if you forget to confess a sin, then your relationship with God is cut off in communication with him Is cut off, boy. If you had perfect knowledge, and if that were true, you'd just live in a constant state of turmoil, of defeat. But we tend to just brush our sins aside, ignore them. We we make excuses for them. We 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 love uh, circum circumstantial ethics that uh, say, "Well, you know what? I I I kind of needed to lie to avoid hurting their feelings," or or I I. I did this because I was under some pressure. I, I was really tired that day. You know, I'm. I, you don't realize what's going on in my life right now. We've all made all of those excuses, if not directly, they're in the back of our minds. But this reflecting on God's wrath is good for us. We we can, our, our hearts can be impressed, can be can be impacted by God's hatred of sin, should be impacted by God's hatred of sin. If we think we're Christ followers and we're just all about hearts and rainbows and we don't address God's hatred of sin, we're missing the, the, the full counsel of God as revealed to us in Scripture, aren't we? And the, the second issue, this reflecting on God's wrath to produce a true fear of God, is, is critical, understanding God's character. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews twelve twenty eight and 29. And then thirdly, we should reflect on God's wrath to prompt us to praise God for our, ha- our having been delivered from the wrath to come. We read about that in first 1 Thessalonians 1:10. 10 are being delivered from the wrath of God. It's impossible to fully understand God's grace. We should acknowledge that, but it's especially impossible to, to fully comprehend God's grace in, in without understanding the wrath of God. If the love of God truly dwells in us, We're to meditate on the wrath of God and and rejoice in Him for what He is in Himself. This is the reason we should study and meditate on His attributes. It's the reason we're doing this study on this podcast, to know God's attributes as fully as humanly possible. We need to be sure that we don't create an image of God patterned after our own evil inclinations, A, a sort of a, a, a caricature of god if i can if i can call it that this is this is part of the human condition isn't it we like to pattern god after our own inclinations we see in psalm 50 21 these things you have done and i have been silent you thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Now that is sobering. We caricature God. We make God our, our buddy, not this high infinite being who is perfect. We can't even grasp this as we try, as we, if we meditate on these three things. To try to grasp god's wrath, we 're still going to come up short, but even in Christian circles uh, christian bookstores if if there if there are any more but but Christian writers you you read some modern work and you get the feeling God is this caricature of the true living God, and he 's my buddy, he 's my friend, he 's my pal, and I can mold him to be whatever I think he should be. Logically, teachers like Andy Stanley make me want to puke, crafting God in a way. Joel Osteen, I mean, I could list, you know, if you like these people and they're a blessing to you, well, please listen carefully to them and what they have to say, because they create a God and they get some things right, like all false teachers do. They create a God, though, who's patterned after their own inclinations. Patterned after their own, the way they see the world. They don't have a Christian worldview. They, they have an Andy worldview and a Joel worldview. And they caricature God. I, 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 too, do this. We all tend to do this. And I do not want to do this. I want to meditate on all of God's character, including his wrath. If our hearts are truly in submission to God, we will delight in a coming day wherein God will gloriously display his wrath by taking vengeance on all who oppose him. We must examine ourselves to see if we are truly in the faith. I don't want to create doubt, but think about that. If our hearts are truly in submission to him, we will delight in. In a day when God will gloriously display his wrath. Deuteronomy 32 43 says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries. God's justice is exercised through his wrath. The imputation of our sins were upon Christ, and his soul was grieved with this thought we see that in mark 14:33 the weight of taking on our sin william gurnall said the greatest miracle in the world is god's patience and bounty to an ungrateful world god loving us while we were still sinners there are a number of ways to say this but i think paul said it best in Romans five for while we were still weak at the right time. Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us while we still opposed him. And then he goes on to talk about our justification by his blood and he says, much more shall we be saved from, by him from the wrath of God. Uh, just think about that. For if, verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Ah, oh, what a beautiful, beautiful picture of the wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus Christ, as well as the grace of God, which, is, which he lavishes on us. That, that is tough to comprehend. The pages of Scripture are full of the wrath of God. We, we read all about the wrath of God in Romans chapter three, verse 19 kind of sums it up. Well, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God for by works of the law. No human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, we should tremble at the wrath of God and fall on our faces because of his grace. This justification that is available to us by grace through faith is brought to us, is given to us by the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'd love to share more with you about the hope that lies within me. And I I would welcome your inquiry. If you're hearing these concepts for the first time, maybe you're, you pick this up on a social media website or Perhaps you're an old friend of mine wondering what in the world I'm up to, uh, and you're hearing these truths. Uh, I would be delighted to have a conversation with you about this great hope that lies within me because of Jesus Christ and his finished work. The wrath of God is a doctrine that we should know, that we should meditate on, that we should take very seriously. You can call it a dark place. You can call it negative theology or whatever you'd like to call it, but it's a part of of the counsel of God. Scripture talks more about his wrath than his love. Think about that for a moment. We need to understand who God truly is and not caricature him into something like us. That's been the point of this episode of Relentless Truth. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope you'll come back uh, next week as we continue this series on the attributes of God. We're going to talk about his power, his might, He's being perfect. He's being not defined by attributes like we talked about in our first week together of this series. But his being simple of one substance. He's not just loving. He doesn't have just love and other characteristics. He is those things. And they are inseparable from him. They aren't component parts. What a blessing that is. I hope you'll come back next time. Please like, share, review. And subscribe to Relentless Truth. Go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information. And please send along an email. If this episode has prompted your questions, uh, send it to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.